Hello and welcome to Books and Stuff I Like, where of course I discuss books and stuff I like. Have a really exciting one today, or at least I'm excited about it. Um, we're going to go through the week in review, and I have a really good what I'm reading now. Um, of course, as always, I'm late to the party, but but what I'm really excited about is the um, the meat of this discussion is going to cover one series, two authors, um, but we're going to focus really on on one group of books, which is something I've been thinking about doing, because the, the mistake I made was a week ago or so, um, I, I said there was only one example of magic realism, and I made myself mad by saying that, so if you were mad, you were not alone. So let's dive into it, shall we? So this last week, I found, or it was more than a week ago, it was at some point in time, I found myself in a conundrum. I had forgotten to defrost a piece of fish, and I found that without said piece of fish, I would not have a protein source for my simple little sad dinner. Now... Don't go judging me for keeping frozen fish and all that. I just let me live my life. Um, but as luck would have it, it was grocery day. So I was in my sad little grocery store looking for a sad little single serving of protein, which if you've never been in that situation, that that can be difficult. I, I just wanted I just wanted four ounces of protein. That, that's all. Um, so what I ended up getting was a little flank steak. Because, and and it, it, I didn't want to make this. I, I wanted to keep this a sad little dinner. I, I didn't want anything special. Um, so I went with the flank steak. Um, a sad little piece of meat for a sad little dinner. Brought it home. I had a little bit of pasta and a little bit of spinach. That's that's 90% of my diet. Um I, I don't eat a lot of red meat. I like red meat fine. I, I love red meat. I, I don't eat a lot. Um, they say all that saturated fat isn't great. I don't I don't know. I'm not going to gamble on that. Um, but I did have a little bit of butter in my fridge. I had salt and pepper, a little bit of garlic. That sad little flank steak was the best food that has been in my face in my whole life and I can't figure out why what, what I think it is is my dear sweet mother would always say that that if you were craving something it must mean that your body wanted it for stuff that bodies do so I don't know if if my body needed iron or or what um Golly, that was good. And I just pan fried it with a little bit of butter, salt, pepper, garlic. Just quick and easy and dirty and red meat. Oh, it was so good. Um, so this isn't a recommendation to go do anything, but I just wanted to share. 
that I had a good experience eating some red meat, some cheap red meat. So I, I guess what's what's interesting about that is something about that with how good it was. It wasn't that I was craving it, but but something when I was eating it told me that that's, that's what my body really needed. So I kind of lucked out on having to forget to defrost some sad little fish. I had a sad little steak, and that just, that was fantastic. Okay, so last week I mentioned, I was talking about a book by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and I kind of flippantly said that 100 Years of Solitude was the only magic realism book. Um, And then it just hit me later. I'll admit it, I can't think of a third right now, but there's a second. And I want to discuss that today, but I can't just discuss that book. Um, So let me do my little intro here. There are certain works of art and we can maybe even go outside the realm of art. There are certain things in this world that are purely and uniquely American. Um, or or we at least associate as something purely and uniquely American. Um, the quickest way to define a culture for the average person is to think of that culture as food. Um, it might be very difficult for us to to say anything about Chinese culture, but we can say things about Chinese food a lot easier. Um, Same thing, just think of some cultures right now and see if that isn't the case. Um, You know, we we have the American food of of hamburgers and pizza and what have you. Um, But in the realm of art and literature... There are some things that are so purely, uniquely American. And this group sometimes coincides with what is great American literature, and sometimes it doesn't. So, um, for example, I think if, if we look at literature that is purely and uniquely American, I think that, that Hemingway and, let's use The Sun Also Rises, and Lolita by Nabokov are both in that group. Lolita's in there heavier. Lolita, written by a Russian in America, is much more American in the sense that I'm getting at, as The Sun Also Rises, written by an American expat. Um... The Sun Also Rises, I think, is the better book, but we're not talking about better or worse here. We're, we're talking about something that is so purely, uniquely American. In the same sense, I don't think Fitzgerald is is really big in this group. But Steinbeck is quintessential. If, if you want to know what the American experience were for a group of people during the Great Depression, you read Steinbeck. It's it's that simple. Now the expats, of course, were a group of American people, and that's important, but but not not so important. Um, on another sidebar here, The Sopranos, the television series, I think that is an American masterpiece. I think 
decades from now, hundreds of years from now, when, when anyone is studying what is America at the turn of the millennium, The Sopranos is going to be required. Maybe I'll talk about that show at some point in time. I, I think that's a brilliant work of art, and I am not ashamed even a little bit to say that. But that brings us to what I want to talk about now, which is the Love and Rockets series by Jamie and Gilbert Beto Hernandez. This is a comic series. It's been it's still going on, but we'll talk about that. Started in the 80s. If somebody wanted to know the experience for Hispanic Americans in Southern California in the 1980s, there as far as I know is no better resource than the Love and Rocket series. This is an American masterpiece that we don't hear anything about. Two brothers, the the third was involved, more or less, started this comic series. Jamie wrote a storyline that heavily weaved around and is called Las Locas, um, that weaves around two... I think second-generation Hispanic Americans in L.A., Maggie and Hopi, um, and their lives, their friends, their people. Um, the other one was Beto Hernandez covering um, Luba and her family and people from a fictional Central American town called Palomar. It's a comic series. There's faults with it, but it's so uniquely American, it's so deep and intertwined and interesting, this cannot be a forgotten piece of our culture. Um, so first, talk about the the Palomar stories by Beto Hernandez. Um, we talk first about Heartbreak Soup is the collection of the first few issues from Love and Rockets that deal with this, the Palomar family. And this is my example of great magic realism that can go forgotten. Heartbreak Soup and the um, Palomar stories cover the citizens of this little town. Heartbreak Soup introduces Luba and her family. Luba is an Indian, that's the term they use throughout the the book Law India, Um, and she is a professional bather, that is a a thing uh, in these small, I don't know if that was a, a real thing, but in this fictional term, nobody bats an eye on this, and Luba has already a good deal of children from a good deal of fathers, she's an outsider, Nobody quite trusts her. Um, and this this collection, Heartbreak Soup, weaves the stories of Luba entering this town and how the town is affected, um, going through different citizens. Things aren't always what they see. Characters aren't always what they seem either. Um, there's, there's that nice, lazy supernatural type feel that is also found in 100 years of solitude the the characters are deep and complicated for being a comic 
Um, the the artwork is phenomenal. It's it's simple. It's clear. It's precise. Um, it's just great work all around. Now, Jamie's side of this Los Locus starts with a collection titled Maggie the Mechanic. And this one, if you're if you're going to start reading Love and Rockets, which I I highly recommend. Um, if you start with Maggie the Mechanic, it's the first book of the series. Take it with a grain of salt. It starts really science fiction-y where Maggie's a young teenage mechanic, but they're on these other planets and they have to go repair spaceships and there's monsters and stuff. Um, Jamie gives up that that whole premise pretty soon and rarely does he ever go back to that. So... Maggie the Mechanic, I think, is Jamie's best artwork. Um, forgive me for saying this if you've read this, if you like it, but he gets lazier as the series goes on. But when you're introduced to Maggie and Hopi, you you really fall in love with these, these characters, and you, you become a friend of theirs in their lives. This, this 1980s Southern California punk scene... Um, you're with them. You, I think the the reader really relates to Maggie. Really wants to be a Hopi. Um, again, it's just this this image into this purely American experience that I don't think the average reader, myself, uh a white boy who was a kid in the 90s um, didn't find punk music till his 20s. Um, I don't think you're you're going to get a better glimpse into this world. Now, for all the for all the good things I just said about this series, there are plenty of reasons why this isn't great. Um, when you have a couple of m- men writing. I mean, they started this, they were in their teens when they started coming up with the stories. Um, and the, you know, if you think about the comic book audience, whatever you want to think about it, they take certain liberties. Maggie and Hopi are some always friends, sometimes lovers. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but um, I don't know anything about the authentic lesbian experience, but I'm sure it's not what Maggie and Hopi go through, but I'm sure if, if, uh, you found a horny teenager to try to describe it, he would probably describe something like Maggie and Hopi for as great as heartbreak soup is. And the whole Luba storyline, um, you have to get over the fact that Luba essentially is a giant pair of tits. Um, and her her character stays on that for a good long while. And while the character may veer away from that, kind of always goes back to just being a pair of tits. Um, there's a lot of sex where there doesn't need to be sex. Um, and just some, some, some instances where you can tell that somebody needs to get laid to clear their head and, and to write better. I don't think that that overtakes anything. I think it, if anything, it could be a source of debate when, when reading these books for any kind of literary merit. Now, 
I said the series is still going on. It is. Um, they're in volume four. Volume one covered 50 issues dealing with the Palomar stories and the Las Locus. Um, and I think, and I, I think most would agree with me, it's all downhill after volume one. Um, Beto Hernandez decided with the Palomar stories there was only so much he could do in that fictional town um, to where I think his storyline, once they leave, once Luba and her family leaves that fictional town, um, it goes all downhill after that. Characters become much more one-dimensional. Um, again, like I said, anybody who's just a pair of tits really just becomes a pair of tits. Um, I, th I think, and it's easy for me to just sit here and say what I would have done. I think he could have done more in Palomar. Um, the, the last Palomar stories got some criticism because they're, they're overly twisted and complicated and you, you, you need to be taking notes, but I think they're just, they're fantastic. The Maggie stories hold up better through time, better than the stories of Luba and her family. But even those after volume one um, go downhill. So I'll still buy these Love and Rockets books that are coming out. Um, I'm not nearly as excited for them as I was when I was discovering these all for the first time and still in volume one. So if any of this sounds interesting, I would highly recommend um, at least giving Heartbreak Soup a try. If you like it, I would highly recommend reading both storylines for at least volume one. Um, but unless you're, you're really just blown away by that, I, I think you would, you would get the full experience stopping in volume one. But I definitely think, um, this should be required reading for anything magical realism or anything just to get that glimpse into American culture. It's a beautiful series. All right, all right, all right. Quickly now. I have just started reading Dune. And I mean, talk about late for the party. I've mentioned before that fantasy, science fiction-y stuff hasn't always been... Um, something I've enjoyed, and I've said some some reasons, but Dune by Frank Herbert, I'm, the copy I have is 800, almost 900 pages, I am 242 pages in, it's great, um, I don't think, like, I, it, it wasn't what I expected, nobody's fired a laser off a rocket ship or anything yet, it's, everyone keeps calling it political. It, it, I mean, it's very house of cardsy. Um, there's a lot of long political discussions, a lot of discussions of culture and, um, different cultures. It's, it's great. I'm really enjoying it as an adult. Um, one thing I'm worried about if I'm trying to discover fantasy and science fiction that I might be, might be too old for a lot of this, but Dune is just fantastic in that respect. Um, another thing that I mentioned when I was reading One Piece, and I, I, I said was a criticism of science fiction, was the, the good guys are always good, the bad guys are always bad, and, it, and if they veer away from that, it's always in really predictable ways. This, this Duke Leto guy, he's complicated, ethically and morally. Um, 
It's, I am very pleased with this book. I'm not really going to go into it because I imagine that um, I'm the only one that's part of this conversation right now who has, has not read it. But if you haven't, um, if you haven't read this, I'm assuming that you don't read science fiction like me. If, if, if the reasons that you don't read science fiction is you don't think you like science fiction, um, I'd give this a shot, especially if you're into kind of, uh, political ideology, um, the study of different cultures, um, psychology to be sure, anything religious, this is, this is really, really good. I am super pleased with it. Just a quick little bio. Um, there's a noble family that has some, some holdings and by the, the, so it's a duke and the king has allowed them to, um, have responsibility over a planet that is just a big old desert, except, um, a spice is mined on this planet. That's ridiculously expensive and they're going to take over this planet and there's natives there that, that the last group or that have always kind of been exploited. So, you know, colonialization and the last group that held this planet was the, the new group's enemies. Um, so there's just a lot going on with, and, and I might've butchered some of that. It, it's a long book. It's not dense. There's a lot of mass, but not a lot of density. Again, I'm, I'm having a great time with this. So that'll do it for Basil this week.